I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. September is National Preparedness Month, which provides an opportunity to remind us that we all must prepare ourselves and our families now and throughout the year for disasters and other emergencies. This National Preparedness Month will focus on planning with an overarching theme. Disasters happen. Prepare now. Learn how. So FEMA is encouraging everyone throughout the month to take some time to identify your disaster risk, learn life-saving skills such as CPR and first aid, and check your insurance policies and coverage for the hazards you may face, such as flood, earthquake, or tornadoes. Make sure to consider the costs associated with disasters and save for an emergency. On this episode, we spoke to Matt Little from FEMA's Individual and Community Preparedness Division about some key areas of preparedness all Americans can focus on this September. So Matt, September is National Preparedness Month, and you know it's a good opportunity for Americans, uh, no matter where they live, to think about what it means to be prepared, uh, not just personally, but also as a community. So as we look at National Preparedness Month, what are some of the themes that we're thinking about um, you know, as an agency? Well, FEMA certainly wants to see more people considering preparedness at home, in the workplace, and in their community writ large. And we want to give them the tools and the messages that they need to sort of get started there. There's a lot that you can do, whether it's in, within the four walls of your home or on your way to work or otherwhere, where you can make a real difference in the preparedness of your community. Matt, in your uh, position with FEMA... Uh, you're out there. You're part of the individual and community preparedness program, um, and you you're engaging with people around the country. What what sort of aspects do you think that people can improve on when it comes to preparedness? Well, first, um, you're right. We do get a chance to interact, and it's actually a great job. I love my job for that very reason. We get to travel, get to hear stories of success what people are doing to make a difference locally, and then we get to transfer those to other parts of the nation. When we hear concerns from one community about, let's say, how to prepare people who um, don't speak English very fluently or how to prepare children, we can use stories of success from these other places and implement them. So the first thing that you know I figured out doing this job is that there's a lot of innovation already happening on the local level, and many times a community may turn to their state government or to FEMA for some of the answers when just down the road there's a community that's already sort of cracked the code on that particular problem. So that's great. But what are some of the things that we continue to hear about? Number one, it's uh, citizen engagement. People want their local residents to play a role in the preparedness of their community. They want people to have some of these skills so that they can be the first link in the chain of survival, let's say, after an emergency or disaster before first responders get there. That's a really big thing. Number two, they want people to be aware of the hazards that they might face within their community so that they know what it means to have a flash flood on a roadway that you take to and from work every day, or that you're aware of what high winds might mean to some of the trees in your yard. And then I would say, lastly, we're looking for people to get prepared personally, especially on the financial level, putting aside some money in case you need to evacuate, thinking about insurance policies, and taking some of those foundational actions to get people ready for whatever hazards may come along, big or small. You know, every September is... uh, We celebrate um, National Preparedness Month every September, Mm -hmm. but is is there something different about this year uh, compared to past years that uh, really 
really is engaging to people to to try to inspire them to get prepared. Well, I can tell you what's different about my own situation, if that works for you, Mark. Um, last year, I had to deploy for over 80 days to both uh, Hurricane Harvey and uh, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And that was a real eye-opener for my family. You know, I've worked for FEMA for about five years now. And I'm not sure if me and my, my kids and my wife really ever thought about what we would do as a family in some of those kinds of situations. So coming home from there, it's been a real wake-up call for us. And we're taking these preparedness actions seriously. I've talked to my insurer about what would happen to my home if I got water in the basement or if I lost some shingles due to a windstorm or if a tree fell on my garage or something like that. So I've had that conversation. We've looked into flood insurance to see how much it would cost us to pick it up as a family. And we've started doing some drills within our household. So when you talk about National Preparedness Month, for me, it's sort of that anniversary of my own work experience but then also it's a reminder of what I can do at home. And when you really think about it, I mean, we've all had those kinds of experiences. You don't have to deploy to hurricanes to understand how important this would be to your children. If you're at work 10 miles away from their school and something happens in between, you've got to have a plan to know where you're going, how you're going to meet up, how you're going to stay safe, because that's going to give you some peace of mind, regardless of whether or not the emergency ever comes. So for me, National Preparedness Month is, is that sort of reminder that it's time to take out the plans, dust them off, talk about where we are with our financial preparedness, and really uh, start thinking about the year ahead, how we're going to stay safe or whatever hazards may come along. You know, that's a great anecdote to think back about your experience. But, you know, as a result of the 2017 hurricane season, uh, roughly 15% of the entire U.S. population was affected by those storms. It's amazing. And I think as a result, uh, people around the country who weren't affected by hurricanes are starting to think about what does it mean for them to be prepared. And and, uh, and I think the first step is knowing what your risk is. Oh, yeah. that's You're absolutely right. So how can, how can people find out what their risk is? Well, first, I mean, talk to your neighbors. Know what they've faced. If you're new to an area, uh, find out when the last time there was a big snowstorm or windstorm or a flood, because there's folks around that know. You can also call your emergency management office and ask them, but you could also talk to, let's say, people in your faith community, like your pastor or the principal of your school. There is a lot of knowledge around that uh, can help you get started. You might want to reach out to your local CERT team, that's Community Emergency Response Team, and uh, we work on that program here at the Individual and Community Preparedness Division. We were thrilled that there was an earlier FEMA podcast featuring CERT. There's just so much knowledge and, and energy in getting folks prepared. Um, they can help you understand what hazards you may face. And once you know, once you sort of have that, let's say, top five lists of things that, that may affect you, you can go to ready.gov and see some specific information about things you can do ahead of time for any of those hazards. So, you know, in my instance, I live in the mid-Atlantic, and I know that hurricanes are going to be a potential threat here, but we also get snowstorms and windstorms. So some of the, those are some of the things that I'm trying to prepare for with my family. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the number one disaster across the entire country is flooding. Oh, yeah. And FEMA administers the National Flood Insurance Program. And so, you know, while buying flood insurance is, is an important aspect of being prepared, it's also uh, FEMA can provide some information on what your risk is related to flood. That's right. Yeah, you can go to the FEMA website and uh, see your flood maps. But, you know, Mark, there's one really important thing about that. And, and it is if you don't have flood insurance, 
you're probably not going to get a lot of assistance. Um, you're going to be on your own. So it's so critical that you look into that flood insurance and see if you can pick up a policy that makes sense to your family. Another thing I hear a lot when we're out with communities is, you know, how long does it take after the disaster for FEMA to arrive? And I know you've been all over the country assisting in disasters. Certainly many of our other staff have as well. And sure, we want to get out there and we want to help. But there are so many incidents that are tragic and catastrophic for families and communities that never rise to receive a federal declaration. So it really is important for, for individual families and communities to think about what they will do for themselves. Because uh, really, in most of the time, they're, they're going to be on their own for those kinds of incidents. Okay, so once you know what your risk is, yeah. I think the next step is uh, having a plan. Yeah. And and part of having a plan and something that we're focused on this year for National Preparedness Month is learning life-saving skills. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, certainly your plan is all about um, who are the right people to call, how do I get in touch, uh, what are the things that we need on hand if we were to face the typical emergencies that we were just talking about, some of those typical hazards in your area. And then, yeah, you're absolutely right. The next step is figuring out what are the things that I can learn today that are going to give me peace of mind, help me feel empowered if I come across one of these emergency situations, and give me a chance to help others. So there's a great program on the ready.gov website called You Are the Help Until Help Arrives. And this is a great tool to teach people five simple steps they can do that may actually save a life in a car accident, in an accident around the house, or, you know, God forbid, a shooting incident. There's things that people can do today that not only help the, the person that's been affected, but also the first responders who are rushing to get to the scene. So something like You Are the Help Until Help Arrives, which can be completed in just a 25-minute online training, just doing that in, during September is going to make a huge difference for your own peace of mind in these kinds of situations. And if you like it, if you find that it's valuable, find some other way to volunteer in your community. You could take a CERT class, you could talk to the American Red Cross, you could look up a voluntary organization active in disaster, maybe through your faith community or through others locally, and find something that speaks to you and get involved. So, you know, those life-saving skills can make all the difference to disaster survivors, and uh, we all have an obligation to learn them so that we can assist. So I want to talk a little bit about that You Are the Help Until Help Arrives mm -hmm. program, because I, I th many Americans are very well acquainted with that, you know, if there's, they're faced with an emergency, one of their first instincts is going to be to call for help, call 911. But there's, there's something that you can do in that immediate space. And, and that's what that program is looking to address, right? Yeah. So it's the, something has happened. Mm -hmm. You're waiting for uh, emergency services to come onto the scene. And what are some of those things that people can learn through the program to help with while they're waiting. Yeah, first first off, it's actually how to call 911. So we walk you through in this training exactly what to convey to the emergency dispatcher, to the person you reach on the line so that they have all the right information before first responders are on their way. And I would I would assume that it's almost like muscle memory. If you if you sort of think about how you would assess the situation and convey the or uh, inform the the responders yep. of what's going on. There's there's almost a little bit of a skill to that, I guess. Yeah, you know there is, and there's also a sense of getting to know it and, and doing it repetitively. I've got a five year old at home; she's almost six, and we actually go through this with her. Some people that might sound surprising, like it's really startling to have your child be prepared to call nine one one. But guess what? If she's the one home and my wife takes a spill or I do, uh, I want her to be able to pick up that cell phone, 
hit the emergency call button and be able to convey exactly what's happening so that first responders can get there. But so you're right, calling 911, knowing how to do it is big. Then next is staying safe. So if you come across an emergency situation, you don't want to further complicate it by putting yourself in the middle of a tough situation already. So let's say you come across a car accident and you can't safely get to the vehicle to help somebody. You don't go into the road. You don't go into the flooded roadway or into the traffic to assist. If you come across a home fire or a building that's been damaged in a disaster, you really got to look out for yourself first. So staying safe is really big after you've communicated that information to 911. Then we want to help the person, maybe by moving them, if they're in a dangerous situation and we can get them out of there without further hurting ourselves or them, then we want to do that. You know, you see all sorts of videos online, news stories about these everyday heroes that step up and assist people, and, and they truly are an inspiration. We want to make sure they're looking out for their own safety before they step in and uh, do that. So the, so the program kind of walks you through what to look for and how to do it safely? Exactly. How to size up the scene and figure out what's right. And, and we actually do that in You Are the Help until help arrives, and we go into a little more detail in the cert training, which is another great option if you're looking for something deeper. And then, Mark, there's a really important skill that we want to teach people through these new trainings, and that is stopping bleeding. Okay, it can uh, someone can with a bleeding injury can actually bleed out and die much quicker than in some places an ambulance can arrive. So we have to teach people how to apply pressure to a wound. And really keep it there because you can extend someone's chances of survival just with some of those simple actions. And it's a real tragedy if there are skills there to be learned and we haven't picked them up and we find ourselves in the situation to provide assistance and we don't know what to do. So so that training is big. And then I just want to point out one last thing, Mark, and that is uh, providing comfort. So... We all have a role in this. If you come across a situation like a car accident, we, you know, I've been in several, I'm sure you've been in a couple in your lifetime, and it's a jarring situation. You know, If you get hurt, you fall on the playground, you have a, a small burn from a cooking accident or something like that, these are all jarring situations. So teaching people some skills to provide comfort while we wait for first responders can make all the difference in the world. Um, we have a great video on the FEMA YouTube channel called, um, it uh, started like any other day, and it goes through the situation of a woman providing comfort to someone who was injured in a motorcycle accident and how important it was to that survivor that somebody stepped up and, and provided comfort uh, while first responders were on their way. So, so those simple steps from calling 911, staying safe, moving the injured if you can, uh, applying uh, pressure and stopping bleeding, and then providing comfort. That's what we're trying to teach through these new trainings. So in, in the next stage is staying informed. Right. And so what are some tools that uh, people might be able to download um, to help them stay informed and of the risk and and also new things that they might consider for for being prepared? Yeah. So um, tools. Certainly you can download the FEMA app. What I like about it is you can put in multiple zip codes so you can get weather alerts for multiple places. I live in the mid-Atlantic, like I said. My parents are in New Jersey. So both on my mom's phone and on mine, we've got both of our zip codes included. And, you know, like like many mothers from a distance, she texts me when there's a small car accident or threat of a thunderstorm. But it's nice to know that she can keep 
abreast of what's going on in our area and vice versa. So the FEMA app is a great one. Many jurisdictions now have their own apps. Um, a lot of metropolitan areas have apps that will allow you to see traffic alerts and delays on a metro system, but also pending weather. And, and that is so critically important to do that. People should be aware that your cell phone nowadays can receive wireless emergency alerts. And many times the phone is set to receive those automatically, but there is an option to turn those off. Don't turn them off. Leave them on because they will provide you critical information. And in fact, you know, I'm really excited this September that we're going to be conducting our first national wireless emergency alert, which is going to give people a chance to experience what it's like to get one of those weather alerts on your phone in real time. So everybody should be looking uh, looking out for that. Uh, so, so yeah, downloading alerts and warning apps is great. Signing up for those email alerts. You know, we get a lot of mileage in my community out of Nextdoor, which is an app that allows you to connect with your neighbors and talk about some of that preparedness stuff. There's other tools that do similar uh, things like Patch or Google Groups and things. But, you know, finding a way to connect with your neighbors about that is wonderful. And then, Mark, I have one more suggestion. And this is a really, really big one because we don't do it enough. If you have a nice weekend, great weather outside, you're looking for something to do, take a five-minute drive down to your local police or fire station and get to know the people that work there. Because just a quick stop in, they will be the ones that are going to show up at your house if something happens or if you find yourself in a car accident in your neighborhood. Um, They're going to be the ones that know your streets and your hazards and the flooding areas better than anywhere else. And they want to talk to you. They really do. So uh, I say take a few minutes on a weekend, stop by when the weather's nice and you know they're not out running calls and uh, just say hi. I'm sure you'd learn a whole bunch of information about how to stay informed in your local community. I'm sure my kids would love it because they love fire trucks and they love uh, police cars. I love fire trucks. (laughs) Um. One thing that kind of is overarching that is a big focus of uh, FEMA's administrator, Brock Long, is uh, financial preparedness. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, relatively new to FEMA uh, as we discuss preparedness. Um, I I wonder, uh, what is the significance of being financially prepared when we look at, you know, kind of overall preparedness? Yeah, so um, the administrator has hit the nail on on the head based on his experience, what he's seen over his career. Uh, it's true. And I've seen it throughout mine as well, that unfortunately, the people who are disproportionately affected by disasters tend to be on the lower end of the income scale with less access to resources to recover, uh, less insurance, uh, less dirty homes, and so on. And so we've got to get to the foundation of this and start figuring out how we build some financial resilience within the American public. Um, Administrator Long likes to talk about the fact that it's only around 44% of Americans who can shell out $400 for an emergency without selling something or taking a loan. $400. And you know, that's a lot of money in a lot of communities. And I understand that. But when you have a disaster bearing down and you need to evacuate and you need money for an overnight in a hotel, a tank of gas, dinner at a drive through, and then just maybe a a coloring book for your kids while you drive to your in-laws or something like that, you need that cash on hand. You know, there's another stat from the Federal Reserve that people who recover with cash do so much better off than people who recover with credit. So while we may have access to some of those lines of credit, having a little cash on hand truly can make all the difference. Uh, The problem is how do we get there? So what we're really emphasizing lately is this idea of building financial wellness 
putting money aside for these emergencies and knowing what your expenses may be, whether it's a natural disaster or a broken water heater or a flat tire or an unexpected medical bill or a baseball through a window. All of these things cost extra cash. And if we start putting money aside for them now, we'll be much more resilient later on. That's an important uh, piece of advice because disasters, whether you're actually affected by the storm, for an example, or not, there are, um, you know, preparedness actions that you instinctively immediately want to take, whether it's going to the grocery store and buying extra supplies that cost money. And so um, regardless of whether you have insurance or not, there is often a cost to you that uh, you sort of bear uh, while you're either waiting for the storm to pass or you may, you know, God forbid, uh, actually experience whether it's a fire or you know maybe uh, some severe storm system that came by, that um, you will have to uh, spend some money before your insurance kicks in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Or you may actually lose income if you work for an hourly wage and your place of employment is affected by the storm. You're not going to be earning income that during that time, so you need some cash to get you over the hump. Or Let's say you do just fine, but right down the road is the family you care about that's been affected. Maybe you can donate a little bit of money to help them get back on their feet. So that that cash on hand makes all the difference in the world. And you know, some people say, well, geez, I, I barely am able to keep up with my regular bills. There's no way that I can put money aside. Or, or some people are intimidated by banking and they're not really sure how to get started or where to keep that cash in a safe place. So we rely on a lot of our partners to help guide folks through that process and really get them started. Um, we have a great document called the Emergency Financial First Aid Kit. It's the EFAK, E-F-F-A-K. You can look for it on the FEMA website. And it leads you through how to safeguard your documents and start thinking about this so that if you are affected, you have that peace of mind that comes along with having your legal, personal, and financial documents all in one place. You know you've got your savings plan in order, and you can bounce back quicker. You know, recently my, my sister went through a, a, home, a house fire, and uh, essentially they lost pretty much everything in the, in the house. And what I, what's really struck me, and this is on the financial preparedness aspect, is how costly it was in the first 12 hours mm-hmm. um, when you don't have toiletries yeah. or just a couple of pairs or a couple of changes of clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does, you do really incur quite a bit of cost just trying to get yourself up and running uh, before that insurance payment really hits. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, these expenses are serious. And um, a lot of us uh, just thinking about that, first of all, thinking about losing your home or having a fire, that, that's overwhelming in and of itself. But then to try and cover some of those immediate expenses is a challenge too. But we all have a responsibility to get there. And, and what I like to say to people as a good sort of rule of thumb for how much to put aside is think about how you would get from your home to the place where you would spend a night whether it's a cousin's house or your in-laws or a hotel out of town or a hunting cabin that you have a few hours away, wherever it may be, think about how much it's going to take to get you from your current residence to that place. Like I was saying earlier, maybe it's a tank of gas, maybe it's dinner out, uh, maybe it's boarding for your pets. Um, Think about what that cost would be, and that's what you should have aside, just to get from point A to point B. And and maybe that makes it a little bit more manageable for people. And, you know, when you reach that savings goal, look around, see where your finances are. Maybe you can up the goal to really increase that peace of mind that you get from knowing you've got the cash put aside for those emergencies. 
throughout the month of September, FEMA is going to be putting out a lot of great information on how people can get prepared. What's one thing that people can do in the month of September that you recommend that people do? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, there's so many things that people can do, but I would say it starts with a conversation around the dinner table. When you get home one night and everyone's there and you're sitting down, ask what would happen if, uh, if something were to take place in your community. In my house, we talk a lot about fires. So my kids now know to run right outside if they hear the smoke alarm go off. If you haven't had that conversation with your family, think about doing that today. Let's say you live alone and your family's out of state. Maybe give your parents a call or give your, your relatives a call or give your best friend a call and, and see what they're doing to prepare. Because if you start to hear what others are doing, you're going to get some ideas uh, for what you can do yourself. So really, it starts with the conversation, knowing the hazards that you face, as you mentioned, and then coming up with a plan. And that all begins with just a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the people that you love so that you know uh, that everyone is on the same page about how to stay safe in disasters and emergencies. We've linked to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a future topic, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you would like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcast. <laughs>